Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to John Lewin, CEO of K92 Mining, a TSXV listed gold producer with assets in Papua New Guinea. Um, if you'd like to hear our opinions and thoughts on the company and the interview itself, you can get that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also get company reports, macro analysis from experts from all around the world. You can get summaries of other interviews that we have done. And of course, there's a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas. And if you go there now, you get a seven day free trial. Enjoy the podcast. John, how are you doing, sir? All right, good, thanks, today. Good, good. Where are you joining us from? Perth, Western Australia. Wonderful, wonderful. You guys seem to be getting it right with regards to COVID. It's business as usual, I hear, every week, every day. Business as usual within Western Australia. Just don't try and get in. No. We have a hard border. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard. I've got a lot, I speak to a lot of boys from Perth each day, and uh, yeah, there seems seem to be... Um, very, very strong on that, but but like, I'm glad here it's a business as usual there. Um, but we're here today to talk about um, K92 mining. Uh, so it's the first time we've spoken about this, and first time um, you know this audience will have heard the story. So um, can we just kick off, uh, John, with a sort of one minute overview of the business, and then we can sort of get stuck into it. Okay, so we are a high grade underground gold producer um, located in PNG. Current production around 100,000 ounces a year gold equivalent. Next year, looking at around 140,000. Uh, just completed a PEA, which shows that we'll grow that to an excess of 300,000 ounces um, within the next uh, three years by increasing our throughput from um, the current uh, 300,000 tons per annum to about a million tons per annum. We are among the lowest cost producers in the world today and with the expansion that actually sees us reduce our costs even further. So um, with the expansion, I think we come into something below 500 US dollars an ounce gold equivalent um, and uh, cash costs, well, yeah, ridiculously low. Um, so it's, we're really developing a tier one asset, um, third highest grade resource, underground resource in the world today on the listed companies. And we've probably drilled about 20% of the high grade veins within our mining lease. So we've still got a long way to go in terms of, of the potential of the, uh, the mining lease itself. And then surrounding that, we've got 700 square kilometers of um, land package, um, which is uh, uh, um, got a lot of potential in terms of not only high-grade vein systems such as we're mining, but also porphyries. And we've uh, we've achieved a lot of what we've achieved, basically from our own cash flow and the expansion project we're looking at would be funded from our own cash flow. Fantastic. Thanks, John. Appreciate that. Now, if I look back to my banking days, whenever someone mentioned the sort of Philippines, Indonesia, the whole Southeast Asia, we got nervous. It was, it was hard for us to get the checkbook out and write a check for 100, 250, 500 million bucks to get things going because 
you needed a local partner. If you didn't, you knew you were coming against some strong headwinds. How on earth and why on earth did you guys go into Papua New Guinea? Okay, so the mine that we have was uh, originally built by a company called Highlands. Um, Highlands uh, then sold it to Barrick. Barrick bought it for uh, over 140 million US dollars. And they bought it primarily for the exploration potential of, uh, that I spoke about, which was porphyry, copper gold. That was their big target. Not so much the uh, Kinantu mine, which is relatively small mine at the time, less than 200,000 tons per annum, and only producing 50, 60,000 ounces. Um, Barrick put it on care and maintenance in uh, into sort of 2008, GFC and all the rest of it, continued with some of the uh, exploration. And then in 2014, um, they made a strategic decision, I think that was that they were getting out of PNG. Um, they sold 50% of their interest in Pogra and they sold Kinantu. We bought Kinantu an uh, upfront payment of $2 million and a contingent payment of up to $60 million, dependent on how many ounces we produced and discovered. Um, that $60 million we um, crystallized into a one-off payment of $12.5 million last year, so we paid that off. So there is no more uh, outstanding in terms of uh, Barrick. So we acquired the asset. It had been on care and maintenance for ooh, seven years or thereabouts. Um, we first of all refurbished it and then started bringing it back into production. <clears throat> now, the, the asset had been mining what they called the Ruafimpa ore body, which is quite a challenging ore body, although it was relatively high grade. It was narrow, some geotechnical issues and all the rest of it. Where we saw the potential was the uh, second ore body, which was about five or 600 meters along strike called Cora. Cora had a resource of 1.6 million ounces, a bit over seven gram per ton gold and a bit over 2% copper. So overall around 10, 11 grams per ton gold equivalent, two veins, three to six meters wide each, very good continuity of mineralization, geotechnically very good, Great for mining as well, because wider than you were seeing at the room of Fimper. So that was our, our target. But initially, some of our funding was a gold loan. So we had to get in and start producing gold out of a room of Fimper while we set ourselves up to get out to Cora. Now, when we came in and we reviewed all of the geology, we actually came to the conclusion that there was a very good chance that Cora actually extended five, 600 meters further to the north. And in fact, came basically that it almost joined, if you like, to Ruafimpa. And there was, there was a, a change between one deposit and the other. In April, May, 2017, we tested that hypothesis by drilling from underground. 200 meters Geo's predicted if we were correct and our hypothesis was correct at 200 meters, we would hit one of the core veins. At almost exactly 200 meters, geologists sometimes get it right. We hit uh, over five meters at over 11 grams per ton and over 1% copper. Clearly we had hit Cora, not Arumafimpa, even though it was right next to Arumafimpa, it was a wider vein contained copper, which Arumafimpa didn't, didn't contain. 
we put uh, a crosscut out to that, a drift out to that vein system, and we continue drilling while we're putting that crosscut in. And in October 2017, we took out a bulk sample, 2,000 tons, put it through the plant. We got over 90% gold recovery, 90% copper recovery. And by the time we'd done that, we'd already drilled a year of resource ahead of ourselves. So we committed to developing Cora. And by the end of January 2018, four months after taking a bulk sample, we declared commercial production on Cora. And we have only mined Cora since then. And, and so what you've seen is a growth in what we're doing. 2018, 47,000 ounces gold equivalent. 2019, 82,000 ounces gold equivalent. This year, we've withdrawn guidance that, that was uh, a bit over 100,000 ounces due to COVID. Anticipate at this point in time around 100,000, 140,000 ounces in next year. And we've done all of that basically from cash flow that we've been generating from, from the asset. So what did you think you were getting into? I mean, you can't have known it was going to be this good. So what, what, what did you walk into with 2 million bucks and the promise of another 60 if it all went well? Was it just like another junior mining story? It, it was a challenge. It would be fair to say it was a challenge. I, I came in um, after we'd, just after we'd uh, done the deal with uh, Barrick. Initially as the chief operating officer, um, actually initially as a, as a consultant because we didn't have any money. Um, we'd done the deal and now we were financing. I actually uh, um, spent the first uh, nine months as a consultant in country every month, gave, uh, gave Ken I to 50% of my time <clears throat> at no cost on the basis that when we got listed, I'd be paid in shares because I thought that the asset was that good. Wow. You had confidence. Um, what, what's that based on? On what data? That was based on the uh, the data that was available from Barrick, Cora, primarily. I, I thought Rumafimpa, tough gig underground, good good deposit to mine from surface from as an open pit, tough gig underground. Cora, on the other hand, just it's just you know when you're you're mining underground, you want continuity and you want thickness and you want decent geotech and it had all of those things. So. Um, we uh th that's what i thought and, and then of course you had all this exploration ground around you which was what barrick were really interested in but with just that cora to me was was uh was the primary asset you had to get into and now of course we've gone from from cora being 1.6 million ounces inferred now the greater cora which is cora north of atompi cora we've combined it now into one from the work that we've done We've now taken it to 3.7 million ounces inferred, 1.1 million ounces measured and indicated. And we've also depleted it by 200,000 ounces while we're doing that. So overall, we add the two together, you get to that 5 million. And right now, every hole that we drill to depth, we keep hitting it. So we don't know how deep it goes. To the south, <coughs> We're currently drilling to take it to the edge of the mining lease. We know that on the surface, there is a surface expression that has got artisanal workings on it for another kilometer until it reaches what's believed to be the source. So you've drilled half of the strike length that you know of, 
one of two kilometers. You've currently got a vertical extent of a thousand meters, and we don't know how deep it goes. And, and remember, this is an underground mine that you go up into. This is not an underground mine where you go down because it's mountain and we're coming into the side of a mountain, you're actually going up. So when we talk about at depth, 1,100 meters below the surface is actually at the same level as the portal. So we haven't yet got to the point where we're actually going down, if you like. That's right. Okay. I, that's, really, <laughs> that's really interesting. I mean, you, you, you must, you, obviously, you're delighted with, with that. And 1.6 billion market cap today, you know, you've got that right. But talk to me about Papua New Guinea. Um, in terms of you're making you, you you are starting to throw off a lot of cash, a lot of free cash flow now. You will continue to um, throw off the free cash flow, certainly at today's prices. Um, you've got a very low ASIC, and you know all in all in cash uh, costs, very very low. What are the conversations with the government about? Because sometimes when you see this in Africa, people look, they look at the revenues, they kind of start getting a bit interested in what you're producing and perhaps um, start trying to get involved. So with regards to taxes, with regards to royalties, with regards to you know licenses and permits, has it been all uh, plain sailing so far? Look, it would be fair to say that we've got a really good relationship with the government. First off, we've taken an asset that never made any money. And we've gone in and we've actually turned it around to the extent that we paid our first corporate tax um, in July. I actually met with the commissioner, the new commissioner of the IRC, um, not long before COVID hit, and said, listen, um, just wanted to have this meeting to flag that we believe we're going to be paying uh, corporate tax this year. And when I helped him pick himself up off the floor, um, he said, but, but, but you're new people here. You're not on our radar. And he said, well, you know, we believe we're going to be paying tax this year. We've done our numbers. And uh, he named a couple of other mines that have been there quite a lot longer than us and said, well, that means you'll have paid more tax than them. Um, and we've now paid our first ever corporate tax. Um, we are, as you, as you uh, mentioned, we're, we're taking off a fair amount of cash. Um, when you look at the government in PNG, uh, and you know it, it's it's 45 years independent, never had a coup. It's, it's uh, a government um, Westminster style, 111 members of parliament. You never have a majority government because it is such an incredibly diverse country. Eight and a half million people, 850 languages, and a bit over two and a thousand taxpayers. Right. So it's. It's the vast majority of people, subsistence farmers. And that, that's really important when you're dealing with your communities to understand subsistence farmers. Land is everything. In PNG, land is everything. So first off, you've got communities that you need to deal with and you need to deal with um, in a respectful way and understand this is their land and it is important to them. And just because he's not farming where you want to be today doesn't mean he, he won't be at some point because that's the the way in which they farm, they rotate and move into different areas. So you've got to be respectful for that. System in PNG, every mine has to have an MOA, a memorandum of agreement with the local communities, local level government, provincial government, state government, and the company. 
administered by the MRA, the Mineral Resources Authority. And in that, everyone's got commitments that they're making, not just the company, but others. So the government is, is doing things to facilitate. Obviously, the main one is what, the, is what the company is going to do in terms of employment, procurement, all those things. Royalty, unusual. P&G, one of the few countries in the world where the majority of royalty goes to the communities, not to the government. So if you look at ours, 70% uh, of the royalty is actually paid to local communities. 30%, I think, goes to uh, local level government, provincial government. So quite unusual in that context as well. Relatively low, it's a 2% royalty. Um, we believe it will be increased, and we don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. 2% is at the low end of, of, of royalty. In terms of uh, corporate tax, 30% corporate tax. So relatively uh, uh, straightforward in that context. Certainly the government, like many other governments, is continuing to look at, you know, what is our cut? And, and, the, and the, the PM, the new PM who came in last year has been quite clear. The government believe that they should get 50% of net cash flow. And if you look around the world, you look at Australia and all the rest of it, that is about the figure that, that if you're in Australia, that's what you're paying. Um, and certainly with our corporate tax, with your royalty, um, and then of course, obviously we employ a lot of people. We, uh, we, we currently have about 900 uh, employees and contractors. That's including all of our exploration, which is quite a lot. But are they local? Business. Are those local people? 95% of those PNG nationals, but over 95%, 65% are actually from our local communities, many of whom never had a formal job before, never mind worked in a, in a mine. Lowest um, percentage of expats of the, any of the mines. We are an underground operation. Um, we need to have a very heavy commitment in terms of training, safety, et cetera, et cetera, in order to be able to obviously operate successfully. We believe we've been very, very uh, successful to date at that. We've had one lost time injury in four years. We've got the best safety record in PNG and one of the best in, the, in Australasia. All of those people pay tax in PNG, including, including the expats. You fly in, fly out, but you are paying tax in PNG. So right. So the government's obviously quite pleased with the, the fact that you're actually starting to throw up cash. You're you're paying tax now, um, which is which is great. It's kind of unusual the paying it locally or with the bulk of it locally rather than at a federal level. But you know, great uh, for your local community. Can I just talk about you know what are the what the goals are here? Because obviously, I say you know one point six billion dollar operation um you're starting to throw some cash that now that brings its own problems the problems being that you've got to be able to continue t talking about a growth story here so um where does that come from look the growth comes from first of all we're going to stage three stage three is a million tons per annum which produces over three hundred thousand ounces a year sub $500 an ounce all in sustaining cost. So one of the lowest costs in the world. Stage three, CapEx 125 million, 
it's spent during uh, 21, 22, and 23. All of that comes from our cash flow. We're still actually kicking off free cash while we're building this project and while we're putting in all of our sustaining capital and while we're doing all of our exploration. Now that's based on the PEA, which we finished uh, in July. We're busy now with a full-blown feasibility study, but we've already committed to the twin incline. So we're already developing a twin incline. It's about $40 million. That isn't part of the uh, CapEx I refer to, but it is part of our sustaining capital now. We're busy right now, four rigs underground, expanding the resource and increasing the amount of measurement indicated that we've got. So by the time we finish the feasibility study, the resource will be larger. There's no two ways about it. We've already drilled holes that are outside of that resource from underground and the mineralization has continued and we've reported some very, very good intersections uh, quite recently. Parallel vein systems to Cora. We've got Judd, which sits about 200 meters to the northeast. It's got almost no drilling in it. It's got a few holes only. It is known to have a, a strike extent over two kilometers. The few holes that were put in it were in the main part intersected it as they were targeting deep Cora. Uh, barracks best hole, three meters, 278 grams per tonne. Um, Highlands, about 100, 150 meters below that, nine meters at eight point something gram per ton, 1% copper. So we know it's got very good mineralization. What we don't know is does it have the continuity because we haven't drilled it. But recently, just, uh, just last week or the week before, we put out, we've developed a long Judd underground over a hundred meters. And, and so this is obviously quite far to the north. So it's, it's 500 meters away from that intersection that, that uh, I referred to as, as barracks. And about ooh, probably 700 meters deeper. We've pulled out um, the equivalent five and a half grams per ton over a hundred meters. So we now know that Judd does have grade and does have continuity. We haven't yet done it drilling from underground because all of our focus four rigs underground has been on Cora. And so we've now got another rig coming in and we will be drilling uh, Judd um, as early as, uh, as next quarter. And so we'll be looking at the potential for, for Judd to come into the picture. And remember that right now, our underground development is taking material out of Judd. So it's not like, okay, so where is it? It's actually sitting there parallel to Cora and all of our underground development is sitting in between. You go this way, you go to Cora. You go this way, you go to Judd. So that has a significant potential to expand. That's just within our mining lease. You go outside of that and you're now into the porphyry areas. And there we've had some, some early success in uh, drilling of our first porphyry target, which is Blue Lake. And we've got a second program starting this coming quarter. Two brand new rigs we've just brought in. We're busy commissioning those uh, over the next couple of weeks. And they'll then go into drilling our, our second uh, program at uh, Blue Lake. Fantastic. Offering. So it sounds like you're 
you've got the cash, you need to be able to expand the resource. You're hitting high grade uh, intersection intercepts uh, along the way. You've gonna have some free cash flow even after financing this, and you will continue at today's rates to you know build up that cash reserve. Um, what do you do with that cash? What are the options for you? You've got one asset at the moment. So people would like, okay, Papua New Guinea, I understand a little bit better. You've obviously got a fantastic asset there and a lot of targets and a huge land package. But it's a single, people will view it potentially as a single asset. So that's a slightly higher risk component if something goes wrong down the line. So how are you getting yourself out of that? Look, that's exactly right. I mean, it is a single asset. And so part of our, uh, part of our strategy on the M&A side is that we are looking actively looking for opportunities. Um, we've increased our team specifically to to be able to properly evaluate uh, opportunities. Target areas are Australasia. We have a, a strong background in Australasia, North America. We've got a strong background in North America as well, and then Asia Pacific, where again many of us have have operated. So. That is our, our primary focus area that we're looking at outside of there as well, but primarily in there. We're evaluating quite a number of, uh, of projects right now. And the sort of project that we're looking for really is 100,000 ounces plus per annum, ideally with a relatively long life. Um, we do have, we think, a, a, something of a window of opportunity in the stage two expansion, which we've just commissioning the plant right now. That takes us to the 140,000 ounces next year. It's another two years later that you then get into your stage three, 300,000 plus ounces. So you've got that, that window of opportunity, if you like. And that's something that we're looking at that we think we can bring something in that would, uh, that would enable us to get a step up between one and the other. And, and then perhaps by the time you get to stage three, you're not looking to take something for 300, 350,000 ounces. You're taking it as a company to a 500,000 ounce company with multiple assets, which obviously means that you get um, better valuation and multiples, et cetera, et cetera, as a multi-asset company. Right. But you've got the, you've got the balance sheet. You've got the cash and building up more cash and you've got the credibility. But in today's environment, Australian gold companies, 100,000 ounces, that's gonna, you're going to pay through the nose, aren't you? If you want to go and buy a mine that's producing 100,000 ounces, you're going to pay through the nose. <clears throat> that doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities. I think the, to us, the, the opportunities are more in your advanced exploration where people have completed a pre-feasibility study um, and are then looking to take the step of going into production. You're still in a situation where the market doesn't value those anywhere near as highly, number one. And number two, obtaining finance is still a challenge. And many companies don't have the track record, um, whereas we can come in, we've, we've already got banks offering us money. So we can certainly access additional funds if we want additional funds to be able to bring those projects into uh, into production. So we're being very selective at what we're, we're looking for. Um, and we're not 
we're not looking to compete with many of the larger companies now, for instance, in Australia. And, and, and if you actually look in Australia, what you'll see is that those intermediates that were there perhaps looking for that 100,000 ounce project aren't there right now. They've, they've gone offshore, number one, in some cases, as you would have seen several of them. They're looking for immediate production and they're, they're looking to be the million ounce plus producer. And so that actually has left a, something of a vacuum in, in that particular area. Yes, you do have other players in there, but many of those other players do not have the balance sheet that we have and don't have the market cap that we have, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there are some opportunities we think in there. Um, but at the end of the day, we're not, we're not interested in going out and, and paying the NPV of an asset to acquire it. That is value destructive. Okay, so, so, so what are you looking for? Because, and I get you, I, I understand you're going to be in no rush, you know, because right, right now where your share price is moving like it's moving, people aren't going to complain too much. Um, you know, and obviously I don't think you probably even need to be thinking about dividends at this time because uh, the share price is, is moving nice and steadily, certainly has over the last two years. Um, but what are the transferable skills from the process you've been through in Papua New Guinea? Because you, you came in with and you, you were handed over a shed load of data um, with targets going forward. Does that give you a sort of sense of precisely what you're looking for? And have you seen anything that's come close it's difficult for anything to get close to Kinantu. First of all, I have to say, <clears throat> it really is quite an exceptional project and deposit in, in terms of Cora. And anything that we do cannot take our focus away from phase three and, and also realizing the value of that asset. That's, that's an important point. Um, when you look at technical strengths, underground operations, we've got a very, very strong underground technical team. And so we have a, a, a strong ability to, to look at that side of things. Um, we've got a team of people who've been involved in developing many mines. Uh, I mean, personally, I've built three gold mines in Australia. Um, uh, one of the largest underground lead zinc mines in Australia, at MacArthur River, I built that. Um, and I've built in the former Soviet Union, South Africa, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not the only one in the organization that's, that's done that. So we've got, a, we've got a background of actually building projects, not just running projects and not a, just acquiring them, but actually building them as well. And that is a more specialized skill. Everyone thinks it's relatively easy to, to, to build a mine. Actually, it's, there's a bit to it. There is actually, a, strangely enough, a, a, a little bit to it. Um, and, and not everyone gets the opportunity to do it. It's, it's an exciting time, um, but it's also a challenging time, especially for a junior, because you never, ever just about have all the money that you really need to build that project. So you end up building it not quite as, as well as it could be. And then you've got to generate some money and you make those improvements. We've got the opportunity to come in and actually build it the way it should be built. And so that's, that's certainly something that we uh, that we can bring to the to the party, if you like. So to, to that point, I know I argue the point that you know single asset uh, companies usually get marked down, but given the size and the scale and the grade, 
and the cash flowing and the fact that you're driving share price and market cap. Do you think you've kind of got a pink ticket on trying to do this M&A for a while? Because, well, let me ask you this. How long do you think this gold bull market is going to last? How long is this window? Yeah, this is a very interesting question. Um, I guess, personally, I, I can certainly see that we'll be well into next year with this general bull market. Um, we've obviously got the uh, North American, the US election, which will undoubtedly throw up numerous uh, um, um, issues, shall we say, uh, and uh, uncertainties and all the rest of it. And then, of course, we'll have the time period between the election and when a new president actually gets to go in or the existing president gets to stay. Um, if it's a new president, that could be quite a long time, given that uh, we're not going to accept all these all these postal votes, you know, which are all a... So I, I think the bottom line is there's a fair bit of political uncertainty. Uh, certainly a lot of the tensions between the US and China are going to continue and and uh, no new president is going to step back from, from many of the things that have been done there. So that's going to continue. So there are quite a number of, of drivers that you can see that, that will certainly underpin a strong gold price, I think, going forward. Plus, we've got COVID and we've got the impact that COVID has had around the world. And that is not going away this year. Um, yes, you know, vaccine is coming. Um, but when will that vaccine be out? So, and even when it is out, then we're in recovery. And, you know, with everything that's been done there, um, again, it supports a, a relatively a relatively strong gold price, uh, and you've got the all the other things that are going on with with uh, you know exploration is is the area that's been hit more than production from COVID um, in in a lot of countries. Even for us, we're, we're, I mean we're busy with exploration, but we've cut back on the exploration we're doing um, because you're interacting with communities wherever you go, and it's far harder to control what you're doing. And, and I know that a lot of places in South America and other areas and, and uh, in Africa dealing with the same issues. So we've got that cutback in exploration that's going on as well. And, and that's sort of supported. In terms of having a pink ticket, yeah, you're right. We, we don't need to rush and do anything right now and we're not going to rush and do anything. That's exactly what I'm asking you. About is because if you've got a sense of how long this bull market lasts, because everything's going to cost a little bit more. But when the sheen comes off, as it always does, at the down the other side of the, of that curve are, are some deals to be had because people have kind of exceeded themselves. They have raised and, and expensive money. Um, they've stretched themselves to a point where they perhaps well shouldn't have and and can't. Uh, get out of it. So, do you think it's better for you to wait? Given, I say, that, I mean, it's, things have gone well for you in the last two years on, on on many, many, many fronts. So, do you think you've got that room to wait? And to me, it feels like you do. But what, what's what are you and the board talking about when you when you talk about M and A? We we certainly don't think that we something we need to rush into. Um, we do have a 
the number of exploration uh, uh, projects that we're working on, um, which will certainly provide ongoing um, results. I mean, by the end of the year, we're going to be running 10 rigs on four different, at least four different projects. So um, we've, you know, I, I think to date, our, our cost of adding an ounce is about $5. So we've been able to, ans to add ounces to our resource at a, at a very, very low cost. And we think we can continue to do that with, uh, with what we've got there. So there isn't, there isn't a, uh, an, an imperative that says we really must do something, we must do something quickly, <clears throat> and we're not treating it that way at all. We're looking at, as we see it, special circumstances, opportunities. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we think we can bring to the, to the party in, in talking to people is that, look, this is a company that, Yes, we've got a we've got a share price that's performed really well, but but look at all these things that are happening for us. If you're going to come in and be part of K92, then you can be part of that that uh, that ride, if you like. And and there is a lot more value in our share price just from K92, okay. without having anything else come in. Okay, so like, when I talked earlier about you know, some of the problems of you know of becoming a big company, which, which you are now, is when you are starting to throw off cash. You know, cash is just cash. A dollar is a dollar. You've got to you've got to create value for that dollar. Okay, so it's nice having it, but people have got expectations of you generating value for them. So M and A is one route. We've just discussed. You know pros and cons you've got optionality and you'll work out you'll choose when to, when you move forward on that front with the dollars that you do have you think your current plan of developing out the kind of stage three growth and uh and obviously you know you've got a tier one as underground asset there fairly like i say low cost but do you think that's the best use of the dollars that you are creating or is it building out the resource what, what, what's the business model look like for you the business model is is actually twofold one Yes, you you do your expansion um, because it generates a lot of cash. Um, at the same time, you've got, like I said, nine, ten rigs operating. You are ex expanding your resource. And the project that we're building, one of the things that we're doing, the twin incline that's going in, um, right now the PEA says a million tons per annum. That's the project, 315,000 ounces a year. The twin incline is a six by six and a five by five. It'll do 3 million tons per annum. That cost is a bit more to put that in, but if you want to come back and you put it in as a five by five and a four by four, and you can get your million tons out of it, and you say, well, actually now Judd's come up and you know what? There's another half a million ounces a year coming out of Judd. And Karempe is also looking pretty good, and there's a bit more coming out of there. And that extra kilometer that we went down along to the south, that's come in, and you know what? There's another million ounces, another million tons a year coming out of there. Now you've got a, now you've got a challenge. For us, we've, we've said, look, we know, we know that we've got more ounces underground. We've got more ounces on this mining lease than we think, and we've got more ounces to the south. So 
we've got to allow for that. And the and the and the cost of that optionality is small. So that's that's one thing that you're you're doing right now. You're building a project right now that's a million tons per annum, but you're building it in such a way that you could double it for long and short of it. We've also got a 400,000 ton per annum plant that we've just expanded. That when this million ton per annum project comes in, we've got 400,000 ton per annum plant that's sitting there that's going to be available to take from Judd or to take additional ounces from Cora. And the, and the PEA is not optimized. The PEA ran on a cutoff grade of five and a half. That left four million tons, four grams per ton, that doesn't come into the system yet. Just happens to be 10 years at 400,000 tons per annum and adds another 50,000 ounces a year to your production. And I haven't even gone to Maniapi and Atacompa, which have historical resources of one and a half million ounces down to only 200 meters and are actually closer to where the plant is than Cora. Haven't been drilled for 20 years. And, and so it's a historical resource. It's not been mined. It's just a historical resource. And, and we're scheduled to be mining, to be drilling those areas over the next 12 months as well. Okay. So, so you bought this from Barrack. They must be looking back and going, well, I, I know we, we sold it for work for, for um, different reasons. Um, but right now, it, you must look appealing again. This must be very appealing to them. But the question would be, are you too expensive? Um, look, I, uh, that's assuming that's your end game, John. Because maybe you just tell us what what is the end game here. If you look two years ago at our share price, I mean the share price two years ago was a dollar, thereabouts. Yeah, that's about right. And our big concern was that we could see the potential of Cora, and we knew that certain people in P and G. I mean, there were you know, interested in what we're doing, asking for visits, et cetera, et cetera. And we felt that certain elements within our industry could see the potential of Cora. And our big concern was that the market cap, the share price, didn't reflect what we believed was the potential of Cora. And so for two years, our focus has been on trying to bring that value to the table so that the market could see it and so that should anything happen our shareholders weren't going to be sitting at a dollar and somebody come up and say listen here's two dollars we'll take you out and many of those guys would have said well that's that's 100 return that's pretty good okay i'll take that where we're busy saying listen give us the time and it's not two it's four or six or it's now eight. eight. And so a big focus for us on this last two years has been trying to make sure we bring all that value and we and we bring it to the market and get it recognized by the market so that it protects our shareholders. And we and I think we've done that very successfully over that time period. Um, are we expensive? I think with what we've got going on right now, um, I think we've got a long way to go in terms of, of share price market cap um so we just got to keep bringing answers to the table which is value to the table and and those are remember we're not adding you know 100 million tons at 
0.8 gram per ton and, and saying, well, look, look how many millions of ounces we've got. We're bringing ounces to the table that are averaging closer to 10 grams per ton. And so they are value ounces. Great as king. And you've demonstrated that because we hear that a lot. We get a lot of people going, we're undervalued. We're going to keep building value for our shareholders. But you've done it. The last two years have been an example of how you do do it. Um, the grade has helped, obviously, in this goal environment. Really has helped uh, in recent months. But look, John, look, thank you very much for that first run through. That's fantastic to hear that story and how, you get, how you've gone about doing it and how you want to continue delivering that. Um, do stay in touch and let us know how you get on because obviously you've got a few things coming up for the end of the year. Uh, I'd love to hear how those drill bits are getting on too. Yeah, I'm looking every day. <laughs> I bet you are, I bet you are. Because, <laughs> you know, if, if there's one thing I'd say, it's this, you know, if you've got two resources, if you've got yourself a good resource in the ground, you can be, you can be a, a good mine, you can be a good company, if you can add to that a good resource out of the ground, and that's your people, then you can be a great company. And right now, we've got that second resource as well. And that is really what makes us. It's Yes, we've got the great resource in the ground, but we've got the great resource out of the ground that's helped bring that to the table. And, and it's that combination of those two things, especially if you're in a country like PNG, where it is, it is more challenging than many other countries. And, and that has been, I, I think, our greatest success in many ways. Beautiful. John, thank you for your time today. We'll speak to you again soon. Okay. Good. Thanks for that. Brilliant, John. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.